Hey everyone, welcome back. It's Chris with the Reluctance On Podcast. A quick update on restaurant and bar closures here in San Francisco. The um, mayor's office announced yesterday that uh, restaurants will be able to open back here July 13th and bars will be opening up again in mid-August. So we're a little bit further behind than most of the country and many of the states uh, as a whole, but um, some good news on the horizon. Um, unfortunately, the shelter-in-place was supposed to end on the 1st, um, so in two days from now, uh, June 1st being more specific, um, and we were hoping to have things back up and running in their previous facet, but it looks like that's not going to be happening. Um, other things in the city will be opening, but restaurants and bars are, are out until uh, July 13th and later. Um, I'm sure there will still be some restrictions on the amount of guests in the dining room, but at least we've got some good news to look forward to in the coming month. And that being said, I'll be going on a road trip. Uh, Don't worry, not a lot of human interaction, some Airbnbs here and there, but I'll not be exposing myself to a ton of people and possibly spreading the virus. So, um, well, it depends on how much I drink, if I'll be exposing myself to people or not, but not in the way you may think. Um... So, a few updates on the podcast. I think this is podcast eight or so. Um, Still trying to work out some kinks and trying to get things dialed in. Um, I've been listening to some other wine podcasts. I've been listening to um, some Facebook Live tasting room things with different wineries. And and, uh, I just really love that everybody's out there um, um, putting on a show, if you will. Um, Obviously, you know, it's a lot less face than we're used to. Uh, being tableside several nights a week, or working in a tasting room throughout the week as well. This is a lot less than that, but at least once a week I see a lot of wineries you are doing tastings online um, that you can tune into on Facebook Live or Instagram. A lot of Master Psalms and Masters of Wines are doing tastings and doing lectures and things of the sort. So it's really um, a lot of fun to see uh, everybody still getting together and still pushing forward the knowledge of wine and the education of wine. Um, here in the city, I, I guess things are kind of, I, I'm sorry, in Northern California, uh, winemaking country, I guess things are kind of back up and running in a sense, um, moving forward with bottlings and things like that. Um, so, you know, hopefully uh, not a huge delay um, until things make it to the market. Obviously, um, the issue that you run into now is that the uh, market will be one vintage behind, given the fact that after about March, after about March, most restaurants weren't selling anything. And even if they are now, they're selling a lot less. Um, and if a uh, brand didn't have a huge retail presence, um, it'll be moving much more slowly through its uh, stock of the previous vintage. So either way, I uh, look forward to some uh, fresh juice coming out into the market or or even if it's not fresh, at least something that's the current vintage of a winery, um, and we'll see how things go. Uh, today I wanted to review a wine, uh, Bilia Vermentino de Sardinia. Um, I had an opportunity to try this wine. Uh, recently I went to uh, Boulevard here in San Francisco, and I talked to uh, the head psalm there, John, and now that restaurants are allowed to sell wine to go and they're allowed to sell uh, cocktails to go, um, it's really fun because as a as a regular person, I'm in the service industry, I guess I'm not a regular wine consumer, I'm a little more um, experienced than that, but if there's a wine that used to have no retail presence at all, or there's a wine that I've had at a restaurant that I really loved before, 
I now have an opportunity to go in and buy that wine. Whereas before you weren't really allowed to sell cases of wine to go or you weren't allowed to sell, you know, cocktails to go. Um, Many states, I think most states, uh, I know Louisiana is a little different, but um, even in Texas, when I lived there, you could sell beer and wine to go in in, uh, certain areas, but you could never sell a cocktail to go. It was a big no-no. So um, now, and, and selling wine retail has always kind of been a gray zone um, for a lot of different states, a lot of different counties, a lot of different restaurants and bars. But but now I had a chance to go in and buy a case of wine, and I got some really great wines. Um, some of the wines that I've reviewed recently are those uh, are those wines, but this one in particular really stood out to me. So this is, uh, again, 2018 uh, Bilia Vermentino de Sardinia. So if you're not incredibly familiar with Italian wine or you're not really familiar with Fermentino or you're not really familiar with Sardinia, this will just have some information on kind of all of it. So Vermentino is the grape. Vermentino is a white wine that comes from Italy. Um, They say it comes from Italy anyways. Uh, It's generally a seaside grape. Um, But the grape is grown all over Italy. There's also some, it's grown in some French areas. Um, There's Vermentino being grown in California. Um, again, it's kind of broadened its horizon, spread its wings, if you will, um, from just a, a grape that did really well in a Mediterranean climate to now a grape that does really well uh, in general. I think as winemakers and as um, uh, farmers become a little bit more experienced with learning um, that grapes can grow without the ideal climate if they have, let's say, a little bit more irrigation or let's say they're picked a little earlier, picked a little later. There's a lot of things that you can do to control the quality of the wine without having to have the perfect weather outside. So as we see that, we see a lot of these grapes that are maybe uh, less well-known in certain areas of the world um, becoming more prominent and more prevalent in the um, wine industry. So Vermentino is something that I've been drinking for a long time. Um, it's a, a great white wine. Uh, if you go to an Italian restaurant, they have a Vermentino. Um, a few of the restaurants that I used to work at, we did uh, Vermentinos by the glass. Uh, that was always really nice. We did Gavi. Um, I tried not to do a lot of Pinot Grigio by the glass because most restaurants at that time had Pinot Grigio by the glass. So I wanted to kind of step away from that and educate people a little, little more on on uh, other Italian white wines, because there's more than Prosecco and more than um, uh, Pinot Grigio. But Vermentino is one that I've always really, really enjoyed. Um, So Vermentino from uh, Sardinia is kind of considered to be the optimal area that Vermentino comes from. And when I say that, I just mean that it has more reviews, it's it's better received, it's, it's spoken about a little bit more. Um, but I think one of the reasons for that is, is we see this a lot in uh, old world wines versus new world wines, um, especially in Italy. Um, but so uh, I, I think I've said this before, but in the old world, it's all about that place, about that place. And in the new world, it's all about that grape, about that grape. Uh, a little throwback to one of my wine education classes when I was working at um, uh, Southern Glazers Wine and Spirits Glazers before the merger. Um, but now Southern Glazers. Um, so in Italy, we often see th- there might be a grape that's grown in different areas that's called different things because the wine is named after the town. Um, and then oftentimes, you know, these grapes have been grown here for 
so long now um, that nobody's really done any genetic testing on the grapes or anything like that. So sometimes they might think the grape is the same and sometimes it's not. Um, in a later podcast, I'll get into the topic of uh, Carmenere, which was considered lost and, and, and Malbec and Merlot. And there's, there's a lot of things that people have kind of um, confused for other grapes for a long time. But now that we're able to do genetic testing on grapes, it's, it's really great because we can see that it's much more broad than we thought it was. So other places that Vermentino's grown in uh, is the languedoc Rousson, so in France, and also in Corsica, which is a French island, technically. Uh, it's a little bit further south from Sardinia. Sardinia is further south from Sicily. Um, but in Corsica, they grow um, quite a bit of Vermentino. Uh, one of the more prominent ones that jumps out to me is uh, Corse. Um, it's a wine from Dave Finney and the Locations Wines. When you go to the retail stores, or sorry, grocery stores nowadays, um, you might see a wine label that has a white circle and it has a letter in it, like I for Italy, F for France, E for España. Um, and so those wines are, are part of the location series of, of Dave Finney. Um, and Corsica, or Corse, is one of those as well. So it's 100% Vermentino that comes from Corsica, a uh, really lovely wine. It's the only one that has a different label, but it's, it's a great uh, example of Vermentino that's not from Sardinia that's well-made. Um, it's also grown in Liguria, which I've said before, but just as a reminder, is a, a small region just south of Piedmont. Um, it kind of just is a, a border, if you will, between... Um, the Mediterranean Sea and between Piedmont, it's pretty rocky and pretty hilly, but there they call it uh, Picato. And in Piedmont, um, in the Roero area, they kind of call um, Vermentino Favrita. So it's been around, but everybody kind of had their own interpretation of it or thought it was something different. Uh, but now that we know that all of those things are, are the same grape, they're all Vermentino, um, we can really kind of understand the the complexity of winemaking because when these wines were being made and when they were being drank and when they were being consumed nobody ever thought they were the same wine and you know there is obviously some stuff that goes into the winemaking aspect of that but there's also um the fact that the terroir is different the climate's different there's so many other things that are affecting it uh and then also you know besides some california producers one of the main california producers that jumps out to me is tablas creek so tablas creek is a um a producer from the Adelaida district um, in California. Uh, I'm sorry, this Vermentino is from the Adelaida district. Uh, they normally make a lot of blends. They have um, uh, some really great Rhone blends, but they're making 100% uh, Vermentino. That Their first uh, bottling of it was in 2002. So they've been making it for quite a long time. It's it's well-received. I have tried it. It's really delicious. Um, slightly different from Italian Vermentino, but still uh, a, a lot of fun. Um, and so Vermentino, if, if you've never had it, um, I, I don't want to go down the slippery slope of comparing it to Pinot Grigio, but it's, sorry, again, I thought I'd turn these notifications off. I apologize uh, for that uh, disruptive noise, besides my voice, which is always kind of a disruptive noise. Um, okay, so Vermentino, similar to Pinot Grigio in the sense that it's a, a lighter white wine, um, there's minerality, there's acidity, um, but... It's, you know, a, a really great, refreshing wine to drink from uh, northern Italy. So uh, this particular Vermentino that comes from Biglia um, 
was really beautiful in the glass. It had a nice yellowish hue uh, with a uh, yellow hue with a uh, slight green kind of to it. Um, on the nose, it was pretty floral. Um, there was a, a lot of apple. Um, and then on the palette, it was really beautiful, dry white uh, with some nice minerality. I got a little tinge of like a lime zest to it, um, which was really interesting. Uh, I always taste wines and I always, I, wine is very subjective. If you taste wine and you taste something, um, you're probably tasting the right thing. I would say that if you taste a white wine and you taste chocolate or tobacco, uh, maybe you're not going down the right path. But um, for the most part, you know, if I taste lime in this wine, most people wouldn't tell me I'm wrong. Uh, but anytime I taste a wine, I always like to write down what I taste. And then I go and I look at the website and try to find the tech sheet. Uh, and I try to see if I'm actually tasting what I think I'm tasting or if, you know, my brain's deceiving me. Um, oftentimes, you know, whatever's going on in the room, if you're cooking, that can affect the things that you smell. Um, I think this particular day I had made pico de gallo earlier in the day, so I had cut lime, maybe the lime on my hands, I was smelling that. There's, there's a lot of ways that your mind can deceive you. But anyways, I got a little bit of lime and a little bit of minerality to this wine. I got it the next day when I tried it too. Um, so... Anyways, um, really, really great uh, example of uh, Sardinian Vermentino. Um, so again, just kind of a light-bodied white. Uh, it's really great with fish. Um, I opened it. I had it with some salmon uh, that I just seasoned with some lemon pepper, um, some salt. Um, wasn't very complicated. I squeezed some fresh lemon over the top of it. I wanted to go for a pretty straightforward fish dish, uh, and I served it alongside just some white rice. Um, but a lot of times people ask, you know, what, what does this wine pair with? What does a rosé pair with? What does, you know, what would you pair with this? And, and a lot of times the answer is maybe the wine's just a great aperitif. What I mean by that is, is maybe the wine is just something nice to have before you eat. Um, it's just a nice light wine to kind of prime your palate and prime your stomach for, for the food that you're, um, about to enjoy. So this wine is, is suggested as an aperitif uh, or to pair with seafood. Um, I think they generally like to pair with clam and they like to pair it with a little bit um, less common seafood than salmon. Uh, salmon is just what I had. And it, it served its purpose. It was really nice. So to speak, speak briefly on Sardinia, um, if you haven't had any wines from Sardinia or you don't know if you've had wines from Sardinia, um, the things that they're really famous for, Cananao, uh, Carmignano, and Malvesa, uh, Malvasia, um, and also Vermentino. So uh, Cananao, if, if you've had a chance to have it or you haven't or you've seen it around or you've heard of it, is, is Grenache. Um, there's a lot of argument that kind of goes into whether Grenache is from Spain or whether Grenache is from Italy um, but Cananao, if you see that on a label, uh, C-A-N-N-A-N-O-U, I think is how it's spelled, uh, is the Grenache grape. Now, it's stylistically different from Spain. Again, um, climate's different. Terroir is different. Wine growing procedures are different. Um, there's, there's a lot of complications that go into making the wine uh, uh, taste different. Uh, so as an end product. So I'm certainly not saying Cananao is the best Grenache that there is. Uh, because ultimately, whichever you enjoy uh, is the best. Uh, Carmignano is, is um, uh, sorry, Carignano is uh, Carignan, um, and Malvasia is uh, Malvasia. You'll see that around sometimes. I really like Malvasia, but 
Anyways, uh, Sardinia is a volcanic island, so there's a lot of nitrogen in the soil, a lot of volcanic soil. Um, it does really well. Uh, Sicily is known for growing great tomatoes and growing great wine. Um, and I think a lot of that has to do with the soil composition and also the climate. There's, you know, a lot of humidity and a lot of, um, um, beautiful soil expressions in this area. Um, so give it a try. If you find a wine from Sardinia, I would, I would highly recommend giving it a shot. I have another wine from Sardinia, I think, uh, on my shelf that, that I'll try at a later date, but it's 2006. It's got some age to it. Um, it's actually the first time I'll be trying, uh, an older, um, uh, Sardinian red wine. So I'm looking forward to that. We'll see how it, how it aged. I don't have any doubts about it, but it'll be the first time I've tried anything with that much age on it. Um, that wasn't Barolo or Brunello. And so obviously I've speaking of this wine, I wanted to talk just really briefly on the producer. Uh, so Bilia is a wine that comes from, uh, Vinicola, uh, Kereki, um, or Kerki. And, uh, it's just a winery in Sardinia. Um, they make some other wines out there, uh, but uh, Belia Kerki is the, actually the founder. Um, he founded it in 1970, and they've made several other wines now, but uh, the Belia wines uh, are named specifically after him. So they're uh, relatively affordable, really delicious wines um, to have before dinner, to have with a nice light uh, seafood meal. So uh, one more quick update on the podcast. Um, I, I'm going to start adding in some retail um, suggestions if if uh, I see anything in the store or let's say we talked about something on a previous podcast and I see it in the store. I'll try to post it on my Instagram or I'll try to mention it in the podcast. Um, now, please be aware that I am in San Francisco, so some stores maybe aren't out uh Maybe aren't um, some of the wines not available in other stores? Some of the wine might not be available in other states. Um, but I'll try to keep it to like Safeway, um, which Safeway is the same company as uh, Vaughn's and, and Randall's. Um, and I'll try to keep it to like Whole Foods. And I'll try to keep it to some of the more prominent uh, grocery stores around uh, the United States or especially uh, around here um, in case you're looking to get something or. Um, you, you want to grab it. Uh, but again, most of the time, if you um, want to get a wine that you maybe don't see in the store, you can always go to the winery, uh, the winery's website, and you can order it. Or sometimes with smaller wineries, you'll see, if you search the wine, you'll see that the um, that you can order the wine through a, a purveyor like k and um, and some other uh, really great websites and some other really great distributors that'll actually ship the wine to you besides the winery and besides just going and picking it up in the store. Sometimes picking it up in the store will save you a little money, especially if you're paying a lot of shipping. Sometimes picking it up in the store will cost you a little extra money. Um, But there's nothing like going to the winery and picking up the bottle yourself. Uh, So if you have the opportunity to do that, I say go for it. Um, So I'll kind of add a few recommendations here today um, just to uh, get caught up, if you will, and just some things on my last Whole Foods run that I saw uh, that are are good recommendations that won't break your bank. Um, so I saw the Golden Eye Pinot Noir, which I talked about on a recent podcast um, that's about $70 a bottle. 
And if you don't mind spending $70 a bottle, uh, I'd say get it. It's really delicious. Um, but I'll try to stick to wines that aren't um, ridiculously expensive, wines that are a little bit more accessible, um, and also wines that, you know, are maybe uh, a little more off the beaten track. You know, if you go to the grocery store and you see a label that's really pretty, you might want to try the wine for the label, which is totally fine. Um, but I'll try to mention some wineries and some wines that I've had that I really enjoy. So today at Whole Foods, uh, sorry, a few days ago at Whole Foods in Noe Valley, San Francisco, um, that was just the one I happened to be near, um, I saw uh, Scharfenberger. So Scharfenberger is one that I talked about on a recent podcast when I talked about GoldenEye also, as in Anderson Valley Winery. Um, it's a sparkling wine. The uh, Blanc de Blanc, or I'm sorry, the Brute that they had there uh, was $19.99, so 20 bucks a bottle. At $20 a bottle, it's a really delicious bottle of uh, California sparkling wine, especially for Anderson Valley sparkling wine. Um, most of the time, if you were to find an Anderson Valley sparkling wine, it would be uh, more expensive. Um, and at $20 a bottle, I think it's great. Um, I think it would go really well at the beginning of a meal. I think it would go really great with uh, the very classic champagne pairing. Of, uh, they say champagne and fried chicken is a very classic pairing. Um, so if you're having fried chicken, pick up a bottle of Scharfenberger as well. Uh, Louis Jadot, which is, um, a pretty prominent producer. You've probably seen it around. It's always been retail. Um, they have many different, uh, quality levels of Louis Jadot in, uh, Whole Foods and Safeway. Um, and normally you'll see like a Bourgogne or you'll see some other wines, but these two were actually right next to each other. Um, they had the Chablis and they had the Puy Fusé. So, both of these wines are white burgundies. Uh, both of these wines um, will not be a typical California Chardonnay, uh, but 100% Chardonnay nonetheless. So uh, the pricing breakdown, I'll, I'll also try to give if I can. Um, so for the uh, Louis Jadot Chablis, it's about $23 a bottle. If you use your, your Whole Foods card, it's $19 a bottle. And if you buy a six pack of wine, they always give you a little deal. It's $15 a bottle. So you can get it from $23 a bottle to $15 a bottle. So, you know, it's not every day that you need to go to the store and buy six bottles of wine. But if you're going to be trying multiple wines and kind of trying to broaden your horizon on on uh, the wine front, I would recommend uh, buying six packs. It just saves you a little bit more money in the long run. The Puy Fusé is about $32 a bottle. Club card gets it down to 26, and for a six pack, it gets it down to 20. So you're saving $12 a bottle, about a little more than 30% a bottle. So still a, a really good deal. Um, the next that I'm going to recommend is one of my go-tos. It's something that I've always had, I've always really enjoyed. The price has jumped a lot since I used to drink it. Um, also now I'm in California and not in Texas. Um, I'm in San Francisco. The price of everything is... A little higher here, I feel like. But uh, in Texas, you used to be able to get this bottle for $20 a bottle. It was a steal. I, I took it everywhere with me all the time. And when I, as a, as a cork dork uh, or wine nerd, would show up to someone's house and I would have a bottle of Behringer, I've said this before, I'd have a bottle of Behringer, people would kind of look at it like, oh, Chris brought Behringer? Why would you bring Behringer? Well, again, Behringer makes a lot of really great uh, upper echelon products, if you will. Um, and I don't look down on, on producers. I try not to look down on producers. 
um, if they make a ton of something or if they don't make a ton of something. I kind of just think of it as a, it's just a different business plan. You know, Behringer is obviously more focused on volume, whereas some other producers are more focused on um, um, quality. And not to say that Behringer doesn't make quality wines because they do, but it's the wines are just targeted at different people. So if you're in the retail store and you want to get a nice bottle of Cabernet that's not your typical Napa cab, uh, try a Sonoma cab. So uh, Knights Valley as the region that it's coming from within Sonoma. So Behringer Knights Valley cab. You'll see it. It's a black label um, in the cab area. They've had it on the end cap recently, which I used to think of end cap wines as, you know, something that I would never drink. But uh, again, as I've started learning the wine industry more and, and drinking more wine, I realized that there's a lot of really great wines that you can get in the retail store. Maybe it's more expensive um, than I would like to pay for a wine, but you know, now I feel like if I don't have an opportunity to run by a bottle shop or to go to, um, to a nice little wine store or uh, go to the winery, I don't mind going to Safeway and I don't mind going to Whole Foods or, or Vaughn's or Randall's or Kroger if you're in uh, Texas. I, there's obviously Kroger's outside Texas, but that's where I've seen them and getting a bottle of wine. So again, as I said, it kind of got a little more expensive, but the current vintage of Behringer Knights Valley Cab is 2017. Uh, you can pick it up for $35 a bottle, uh, 28 if you have your uh, Whole Foods card or your Amazon Prime card or whatever. And uh, $22 a bottle for a six-pack. So this one you're saving um, $13 a bottle. So uh, pretty substantial, um, again, for a really great bottle of Cab. Uh, I have several bottles of this wine um, laying down that I've been holding on to, the 2014 vintage. And every time I try them, I'm still really impressed at the quality of the wine and how well it's held together. And again, that it was relatively affordable at the time. I, I think it was 20 bucks, But... Um, Either way, the, the wine's a solid cab. If you're going to the store and you don't mind spending more than 15 or 20 bucks, I'd highly recommend grabbing a bottle of Behringer Knights Valley Cab. Um, and then the last one I wanted to throw out there is, um, I don't know, it, I've seen it more retail recently, um, but it wasn't ever retail when I first got in the industry. And it's a wine from Paul Hobbs. So Paul Hobbs is a pretty famous producer in California, but he has projects all over the world, um, and, and is really successful, and I've always been a huge fan of his wines. So the Cross Barn series um, is a series of uh, wine that he does, and the Chardonnay and the Pinot Noir are the only two I've had. I'm sure that they do other things, I just haven't had a chance to try them. So this is a 2017 Chardonnay. Uh, so it's Cross Barn Chardonnay 2017 by Paul Hobbs. Uh, it's coming out of Sonoma. Um, it's mostly done in stainless steel tanks, so there's not a ton of oak presence. Um, and the mallow level isn't super high, so it's not a really buttery uh, Chardonnay. Um, and this one, again, is a little more expensive if you just buy one bottle. It's $39 a bottle, about um, $31 if you have your um, Whole Foods card, and $25 if you buy a six-pack. So uh, still good savings if you buy six-packs, or if you want to buy one of all of these bottles, you're at five bottles. So you may as well get another bottle, and there you go. you got a six-pack, and you saved... Um, on average, about $12, $13 a bottle because uh, all these range about um, uh, 20 to 20 to 30 20 to $40 price range. So 
again, as I move forward in podcasts, I'll try to always include one. Um, I am going on a road trip, and when I do so, I'll be um, going to the grocery stores there and going to uh, retail stores there, and I'll be um, looking at what's available. So when I mention these things or if I post them on my Instagram page, I'll always try to uh, include where I got it or um, try to shop at a larger uh, retailer, as I said, so that way there's more of a likelihood that you'll see it around. And since I just spoke really fast for the last 28 minutes and uh, I do this where I get really nervous and I just talk really fast and I throw a bunch of information at you, stop a second, take a sip of wine. (sighs) Okay, so last topic um, is day drinking. And I've talked about day drinking before, but uh, day drinking, I think, has really taken on a a totally different role since the um, shelter in place, uh, COVID-19 that's going on. And uh, I mean, I I guess luckily, almost not luckily that we're not going back to work here. I can continue to day drink um, because I um, am doing intermittent fasting. So Intermittent fasting, for anybody that hasn't uh, heard about it, which I would say that um, you would be less likely to hear about this than uh, keto or uh, vegan diets, because obviously um, I think people who are generally doing keto diets or doing vegan diets are often a little bit more vocal about their diets, a little more proud of their um, of their discipline, uh, and, and good for them. I don't have discipline, so I will not be limiting what I eat. Uh, I will just eat whatever I want, um, but I'm only going to be eating for eight hours a day. So I've been doing the intermittent fasting now for about the last three or four weeks. Uh, I feel pretty good. I eat from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. I can eat pretty much whatever I want, um, and I can eat whatever I want. I just still try not to eat too unhealthy, um, and uh, I don't eat from 5 p.m. until 9 a.m. the next morning. Now, when I was a kid, they always said you shouldn't eat really late because you're not going to feel good or you're going to put on weight or it's bad for you or whatever. And I can say that since I started doing intermittent fasting, I feel better when I wake up in the morning. And also what it's eliminated a lot of is eating out of sheer boredom. Um, I'm somebody that gets bored and just will start to cook stuff or, or eat things because I just don't have anything else to do. And being trapped in a 500 square foot apartment in San Francisco uh, quickly eliminates the options of things to do to uh, occupy yourself. So I get to enjoy a glass of wine at one o'clock in the afternoon and not feel bad and not feel guilty. Uh, but obviously that will change when uh, I go back to work. I'll be tasting wines at work, which will be eliminating the fast. Um, sidebar on intermittent fasting. Some people are... Uh, more doing it for caloric restriction. And so they say that you can have, I think it's 150 or 200 calories within the 16 hours of not eating. So some people have coffee or tea or something like that. Um, and I personally do it because they, they say, uh, they and being non-identifiable people in several articles I've read. So I'm certainly not studied in this that, um, after a while of not eating and after that long without consuming anything aside from water, uh, your body kind of takes a break. Your organs kind of like take their foot off the gas and kind of calm down. And I've noticed that I, I sleep more restfully. Uh, I feel more 
um, energized in the morning. I feel more rejuvenated from sleep, which at the beginning of the quarantine, I was having a lot of trouble with. Um, not being outside, not expending my energy was affecting my ability to fall asleep. Um, and now I feel like when I do sleep, I sleep much more restfully. So day drinking and intermittent fasting are going hand in hand for me. Um, so, uh, I think that's it. I think I'm going to wrap it up for the day. Um, again, uh, feel free to give me feedback. Feel free to reach out to me. Um, I know that there's several people that have told me that they've been listening to the podcast and, and have told me what they think about it. And I, I really appreciate it. Um, I said this for a long time in the service industry. If when somebody says, I'm sorry, when they make a complaint, I always ask them to please not be sorry because it's only through that feedback that we can get better as a business. And it's only through your feedback that I can get better as a podcaster. Um, or at least, you know, if it's maybe not something that everybody else wants, I can at least dedicate a chunk of my time to something you may want to hear about, want me to talk about. Um, and, and yeah, so, so reach out to me again, uh, the reluctant at gmail.com or reluctantsom at gmail.com. I think it's the reluctantsom at gmail.com. Or uh, follow me on Instagram at reluctantsom. Uh, thanks again. Stay tuned for a new episode and uh, cheers. Be safe.